Welcome to the StarNet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. StarNet provides a variety of opportunities for personal and professional growth for those who touch the lives of young children, ages birth through eight, with an emphasis on children with special needs. StarNet supports family-centered research and effective practices in early childhood education and care. To find out more about StarNet, please visit starnet.org. Hello and welcome. My name is Emily Riley, and I'm the Assistant Project Director for StarNet Regions 1 and 3 and the host for our podcast series on developmentally appropriate practices, where we explore the fourth edition of developmentally appropriate practice in early childhood programs. Today, I'm excited as I get to chat with one of my colleagues, Cheryl McKinney, about DAP and um, math content learning. Cheryl is passionate about teaching math in fun, engaging, and meaningful ways. So Cheryl, welcome. Thank you very much. Yes, thanks for um, chatting with me today. So um, I wonder as we get started, if you could tell me a little bit about um, what really got you excited about math and early childhood? Um, I don't even know how long ago it was because it was uh, our school district that I taught in there was um, a math their way training that was being offered. Um, I think it was through the ROE. I'm not really sure now who offered it, but anyway, pre-K through third grade teachers, each of us went, we only had one of each grade and it was an excellent training and it was all hands-on type materials. And it was all based on the mathematics, their way book. And um, the person that developed it, Mary Beretta Lorton was, uh, had studied Piaget. And so it was a lot of it was based on what she had learned and everything was as much hands-on as it could be. There were, there might be recording sheets, but there were no worksheets, no worksheets at all. Um, and I just, when I was teaching early childhood, uh, special ed, and I taught kindergarten and I taught pre-K, there was very little out there for that grade level. Um, you know, there was the little workbooks you could buy, which totally are inappropriate at, you know, various stores. Um, but um, so that's how I kind of, I was so thrilled with Math Their Way because it was all hands-on and all age-appropriate type materials. And um, so um, that's how I kind of got started with, you know, kind of that excitement about it. But I also at one time taught title one reading and math for the K eighth grade. So, um, I would have pre-K in the morning and then do that in the afternoon. And I, I felt comfortable working with the students that needed the extra help with the literacy and the reading and the, that type of thing. But when it came to math, I wasn't sure where to even start. I was, I, you know, you know, if they're struggling, what do I need to do? So I was able to take some graduate classes through the math education department at Western Illinois University and went to some of some other trainings and math conferences. And from that, I started finding resources and things to know what students might need. But also I needed to know how to find out what they needed. And so I was able to get help from the instructors and things like that. And so that's how it began. And um, I kind of developed it to work on with individual students. And 
And one thing I discovered was that many students had learned processes, but didn't understand what they were doing. So they really lacked that solid understanding of number sense and basic foundational type things. And um, when I think of the Sorry, yeah. So when you say the processes, um, you meaning that like kids could kind of do some of that rote kind of counting just, and more memorizing? Just the, of yeah, things. just the memorization. Yeah. Like I just take one from the top number, you know, and that kind of thing. And they didn't understand, you know, what if it's, you know, 12 minus nine? Well, then they would be confused because nine was bigger than two. So, you know, they didn't understand that whole concept of, um, of subtraction, addition, multiplication, those kinds of things, depending on what age they were. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, I think I, and I use this in some of my trainings, I think of math concepts like building a house or a building. And if you have a good foundation, you know, that building will, you can build on and it'll support everything. But if you don't have that good foundation, then it's going to collapse. And that was what I was seeing with many of my students in Title I. Once they got to maybe second, third grade, they were struggling because they, you know, they were like, even with word problems, they were adding the bus numbers instead of the number of students on the bus. You know, they just knew I had to pick out the numbers. Mm -hmm. So it was just really difficult for them. So we had to really back up. And um, and try to figure out where they were and and see. And a lot of it all started back to really understanding, you know, that a twelve was a ten and a two, not a one and a two. So those are kind of the things that I found that were were an issue. And that's kind of how I kind of got started. And then going into early childhood again, then it was like, what do I do with these little people? Because I have to give them that foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'm um, really curious to hear more about. So you've talked about how that house, that foundation is so important. So um, one of the things, one of the principles in the DAP um, position statement uh, talks about play and how um, important that is for joyful learning, as well as just fostering self-regulation and all sorts of um, developmental domains, um, as well as across content and disciplines, right? So that would be including math, right? So um, I would love to hear, yeah, how do you do this then in a developmentally appropriate way? Because like you said, there are so many, like, there's so many easy access, I guess, to like worksheets, like teachers might be looking online and they Google stuff and they're like, you can find things that are developmentally inappropriate that are targeted to early childhood. So there's like this temptation, I feel like there <laughs> sometimes because it's like easy or yeah, let's buy the workbook. But so how, how do we, how do families, how do educators really embrace this play for joyful learning to teach math concepts? Well, it's, it's really kind of simple when you think about it, it's just finding materials and it doesn't have to be like store-bought materials. It can be, um, um, you know, just things you have around the house, like collections of seashells or paper clips or keys or buttons or any of those kinds of things. Or um, things outside, right? Things if you're outside walking or you notice yeah, pine cones and walnuts or whatever it might be. But the things that are really important is what do you do with those things? 
And I mean, it's fine to have the teddy bear counters and the dinosaur counters and, you know, the links and all those things. Those are great. I'm not dismissing those, but, you know, I think some people feel like, well, I'm not getting the concepts across. So I have to revert to worksheets. That is like the worst thing we can do because we really need to give them the hands-on concrete materials. And if they don't have those, then those concepts really are not, not internalized. And I mean, we think about how little ones, you know, like toddlers, and you know, they're learning through all their senses and, and everything else. Well, even threes, fours, and fives are still learning that way as well. So we need to give them variety, but we also need to um, find things that they're interested in playing with. But like even setting the table, you know, putting all the forks together and all the spoons together or, or putting a knife, fork and a spoon at every place setting or what, whatever it is. Those are all math concepts. You know, you're putting it beside the plate. Those are terms that we don't think about. And there's in your classrooms in a, in a pre-K classroom that has set up with centers and a lot of, you know, manipulative type things and it's math is everywhere in that classroom because I've seen teachers counting the number of students together with the kids. They're counting how many are here, how many are home. Um, they're describing things that a child has done like, oh, you put your uh, folder in your cubby. And people don't think about that in and on and beside. And those, those terms, those position terms are geometry. That's a basis for geometry. So those are some of the things that we really don't think about that we're doing, but we really are. And doing that math talk, pointing out things that the kids have done, um, like, oh, I see you put that puzzle together and it worked when you flipped that piece over. You know, that's, a, that's also geometric. Or talking about sorting, you know, okay, I'm going to put the green toys over here and the red toys over here, you know, or, you know, maybe that's what they decided on their own. You didn't even have to tell them, um, you know, matching games. That's a beginning for algebra matching, you know, those mem those little memory games that we have. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing for matching. Um, <clears throat> and you can make your own kinds of things. Um and, and also thinking about how you can extend their learning when they're playing, like with the dinosaurs or teddy bear counters or the keys or whatever it might be. Um, okay, so you, what would happen? I wonder what would happen if you took one of those dinosaurs away from your group of four. How many would you have then? Or you could say, what would happen if I add two more dinosaurs to your group, how many would you have then? You know, so it's right there while they're playing with the materials. You don't have to have like a, a set thing going on in your mind, except that, okay, I'm intentionally, maybe I'm going to work with this child because they're struggling and, you know, with vocabulary. So I'm going to use more of the prepositions, which would be helpful. And it's also geometric. But you can't get some of that information from worksheets and flashcards. That that is just rote, and that's where things fall apart. Um, because we know there's levels of development, and they need to be concrete. But then they also need to have that connection. Like when I'm showing them, a, if you're talking about the numeral three, and you just have the three there, they don't 
understand what that means unless you've got like a picture of three objects maybe attached to it or you put three rocks next to it or three keys then they know that means three it's just like it's chinese to them maybe or a foreign language um so those are kind of things that we can do with play but by having those kinds of materials available to them um sounds like the open-ended material is really provides a lot of flexibility too for educators to individualize then. So exactly. it does. And, and one of the things, I mean, one of the best ways to do math activities, if you want to do a small group is to do a math game. And, um, you know, when I, you can just take a, a piece of construction paper and put post-it notes on there in a, in a circle or, a zigzag or something, and that's a game board. And then you can use any kind of material for the little markers, but I would, you know, you would also make those appropriate for the fine motor skills of the kids in that group. You know, maybe they need larger pieces or, you know, um, or maybe they could do smaller depending on what they're built. But then maybe this group, I'm only going to give them a dice that has one, two, and three on it. Or if I don't want to use dice, I can um, do what I call dot cards. And they're just index cards that I take and put stickers on. And I would, for that group, I would have a, have cards with just one dot. And then I'd have some cards with two dots and some cards with three dots. And I'd put the dots in different places on the cards. So that would maybe make them have to count. Uh, and then it also helps me to see who can recognize without counting. And that's called subitizing. So, you know, just doing those things, you can be assessing where they're at. And then the, another group, I might have to, I would go maybe up to four or five. And then maybe another group, it's they're, they're using regular dice. They're not even using the dot cards. You know, it just depends. And then I, <clears throat> I would, I always think of grid games. And I used to get those, and I, you still can on prekinders.com. And I would try to get these grid games and they come with tools, trucks, you know, beach buckets with sand, you know, all kinds of different pictures. So I could pick out what would work, maybe clothing, or maybe it's a topic that we're talking about anyway. And I could make them for what those kids would be uh, interested in. So for some kids, they would, I, maybe I would just give them five frame and some would get 10 frame and maybe another group would be up to 20. So, and then I can put in pictures that they, let's just say we're, they're interested in different kinds of fruits. So we could take pictures, they have blank ones and you can make your own with different fruits or whatever it could be. And that way you can make it really find their interest or something to go along with something, you you know, they like, like if they're, you know, like I have a a family member that's crazy about strawberries. So I could just put all strawberries on there if I wanted. So yeah. it's just finding the interest and then trying to find ways to incorporate that into maybe a game or an activity um, and introducing a new, if you bring in a, a new uh, manipulative into the classroom, it's really great to introduce that in a small group setting because then you can kind of guide them, you know, we're not, you know, depending on your class, when I had early child special ed, you know, you worked on not throwing it, not putting it in your mouth, you know, those kinds of things. So it just depends on your group, but it's usually a good thing to introduce 
anything new that you're bringing in. But I really think you can do so many things when you're talking about play in your classroom. Look over in the dramatic play. Maybe they're playing with the cash register and you're talking about the numbers on that cash register. Oh, where's the number? You're three. Where would you see? You see a three on there? Let me show you where that is. It can be so many things. And let's count how many cans of soup, you know, are in the cupboard or, you know, there's so many things that you could, you know, uh, do just right there. Blocks. It's just, oh my gosh, it's just amazing what you can cover in blocks. Geometry, you know, measurement. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing, or at least what I've kind of been noticing in some kindergarten classrooms, it almost seems like it's the, um, it's the rare instance when you actually see a block center, um, at least in my, my area. I don't know if you see that either. So. Yeah. I, yeah, there's not, they're not this as many centers anymore in kindergarten. And so many of those kids, even though they're five are not necessarily functioning at a five-year-old level or have had limited experiences. And with math, it's really needs to be hands-on um, at this age. And you know, by putting two blocks together or seeing how many blocks it takes to get from this side of the carpet to the other side of the carpet, you know, estimating and, and predicting and then talking about it and then counting how many, you know, and then does it make a difference if I use this size, you know, the six inch block or if I use the long block, what happens then? How many do I get then? So it's that just sounds so like the whole math uh curriculum content and, and standards can pretty much be supported in a, in a block center. Oh, it can. It really, really can. And um, um, I interviewed Sally Muma on one of our apples, and that's what she said. You could teach your whole, whole math curriculum covering all the content areas, which that's another important piece is to realize that we are really in, in early childhood, the first, I mean, outside of their parents, the first math teacher they're going to have which blew my mind the first time I thought of that. And um, so the five content areas are numbers, numbers and operations, geometry, measurement, algebra, and data analysis and probability. And people think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's not appropriate for little ones. Well, it is, but it's those five content areas go all the way through 12th grade, but the benchmarks are different. What we do with those and, and number isn't doing like, and when I say algebra, that I'm talking sorting, matching, patterning. I'm not talking about doing X, Y plus Z, you know, equals, you know, H or whatever, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and geometry is the same way. It's, it's, you know, looking at those positions where, you know, um, distance words, vocabulary, and um, seeing where, you know, like fitting up puzzle together is ge geometry. You're fitting things in there. So every time we go to put things in our cupboard, we're using geometry. We're using spatial sense and not, and it shapes, I mean, of course, are, are part of that, but it's not the whole part of geometry. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we can be working on and in a, in a playful way, because like, you know, just having the little kids put the empty, you know, I always brought in empty boxes from home or things like that. And they could try to see, well, which shelf would that fit on? Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate what you said about, um, you know, kind of 
you know, we're in early childhood being the first math teacher outside of, you know, the family. Um, because that, I guess it just, I think to me, it reiterates just how much more important it is to use all these strategies you talked about with um, using interest, because that's a natural motivator, right? Pulling in things that they enjoy or experiences they've had from home or within the local community that can be tapped into into the classroom. Because um, if I'm a first time, you know, experience in school and I'm sitting, you know, at a table the majority of the time and expected to do a worksheet, like that is very could be very daunting and overwhelming and provide a very negative first experience, right? Like mm-hmm. let's, let's use what we know about the science, about child development, brain science, how children learn um, and make it fun and engaging and pull in like what we know, like with those interests. So I think you hit on like so many of the really important concepts about developmentally appropriate practice in general, you know, not just specific to math content, but really blending in all those really important um, ideas around motivating children and making it fun and, and still lots of learning happening. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, you don't play, play it maybe a certain math game one time, you're going to do that maybe next week again, or something like and change it up a little or something like that. But when you're doing a game, you're bringing in a lot of social skills. You've got to have self-regulation. You've got to be turn takers. You've got to, you know, wait your turn. You know, those kinds of things are really important. And, and also using fine motor if you're having to move that little piece over there. But you can bring, you can bring um, the same thing to gross motor. You know, you can get, get the, the dot cards or the uh, dice or something, and they can, they can jump that many times or they could uh, stretch that many times, or they could, you know, uh, touch their head that many times, whatever it might be, and bring in some motor skills. And and the thing that I found was um, over the years, the upper body strength of a lot of my students was changing. The um, they would do the W sitting, you know, where their legs are like kind of like a W, mm-hmm. and the physical therapist said that means they have poor upper body strength. So then, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to get them to do some things that they maybe wouldn't be doing at home. So anything motor wise, large motor, fine motor was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said earlier, math is everywhere, right? We just yeah. have to kind of tap into it and be open to it and and notice all those natural opportunities that are there. So, well, wow, Cheryl, that was a lot of information. You are so knowledgeable about (laughs) supporting math content. So I wonder, can we kind of like pull things together? What would be your like top three recommendations or top two, um, maybe for an educator who feels like they haven't um, incorporated or they're wanting to incorporate more math? Like, what would be your advice or recommendations as far as some things people could start doing tomorrow that can kind of um, support math learning in a developmentally appropriate way? I would I would say know your students and find something that they're interested in or something that's kind of novel. So like maybe, um, you know, like I'm from a farming community. So, you know, if you brought in a little toy tractor, I mean, that lit up the classroom because especially for the boys, um, but maybe there's something to go along with, you know, like in the fall, we'd do things with leaves and stuff and we'd bring leaves in and we'd talk about the leaves and we'd sort the leaves. So right there, 
And then, of course, you had to count them. So find things that you have, like on your playground, you know, see who can get at the top of the slide, who's at the bottom of the slide, and maybe take pictures. Um, a, a teacher I knew took pictures of the kids in different positions on the playground and then put it in a in a binder, a three-ring binder, so the kids could go back and look at it and see, oh, there's, and wrote on there, the teacher wrote, you know, Aiden is at the top of the slide. And then on the next page, Johnny is under the slide, you know, because, you know, they're going to be everywhere. And, you know, so-and-so's on the swing, you know, that kind of thing. And that would be a great way to bring in some vocabulary positions. And then you can change it seasonally. You know, you could do it in the winter. You could do it in the spring. And then they've got that book in there. And if you have three ring binder and somebody moves in, then it's really easy to add them to it. So that would be a, a kind of a fun thing to do. Um, but look in your classrooms and see what materials that the kids really like, or maybe you have something you've not gotten out yet and you can get that out and think of, can I use this for counting or can I use this for sorting and matching or, or what concept could I use this for? You know, even just changing your puzzles out, you know, by giving them more pieces or something, you know, that's extending their math, you know, or for some kids, it's maybe I've got to back up and get out some puzzles that I had at the beginning of the year because I've got new students or someone needs that, you know, to show that they've completed it. So I may have to go back. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things I, I really think, look at your students, look at their needs. And, but I think if you can do anything like make a little game, you know, we used to do them on file folders or anything like that, but you can just take and put a right post-it notes right on the table and make it whatever you want it to be. You know, I mean, I'm all about doing quick and easy because you know, <laughs> who has time to make, you know, an elaborate, you know, game. And then it's, you know, I mean, kids are hard on things. So, uh, and I don't even have time to laminate stuff. So if I just made it a post-it notes on the, on, you know, a zigzag on the, on the desk or the table that you're using, it'd be great. Mm -hmm. well, thank you. I imagine um, people listening will probably hopefully um, give them some ideas on ways to be creative and use just, you know, some natural objects, items, routines, you know, things that are just going on and in their environment um, to support learning. Yeah. Um, Cheryl, earlier you mentioned, you know, the training that you went to, um, what would you recommend? Are there any, I know we've got, you know, the Erickson Institute has some really yeah, great yeah. Um, math um, trainings and webinars and, and things for educators. Is there? Um, the Erickson Institute also has a, what they call, if you go to the early math collaborative and it's, it's their website and they have an idea library and you can click on that and then you can choose what area you're wanting information on. Like, like if it's um, say it's, um, you know, they have um, spatial sense, then you would click on that. And then the next category is, do you want articles, videos, books, et cetera? And you can click on that. So videos would be great, you know, to see what a teacher does. The other one would be, then the third column is what age? So you would click, you know, if you're three to five year olds, you could click that and then you submit it. And then it pulls up all the things that would be applicable for that, that um, concept 
that medium that you wanted for that age. And it's just a wealth. And then you can go through there and pick out. There's a couple of videos that I really, really like. And one is on measurement and it's called just, just right for me. And it's, it's a fabulous thing because you just take and use your hand and she goes through how she describes it and then has the kids go around the classroom. I think she picks two centers. You go to these two centers and find two things and bring them back and we'll see if they're just right for you. And then they talk about it. She helps a little guy who thinks that these two are the same and they're not. <laughs> they're you know definitely couldn't be the same as his hand because one is much taller and she goes through you know doesn't just say no you're wrong she goes through and asks lots of questions so I really like that one and another one is on um, uh, shoe graphs you know um, talking about reading a book and um, whose shoes and then how they start graphing their own shoes and how it all kind of you know goes from they even have the planning with the uh, another person the teacher is talking to to then doing the activity and then also another video on reflection so I mean there's just a wealth of things and then it shows them doing research with one child maybe on on how they figured out say accounting activity or something so there's just tons of stuff on that on there and then you can sign up and join, and then they'll send you a link when something new um, comes out on their website. That sounds like a fantastic resource. I will definitely share that in the episode notes. So people listening will have access to that. And the Um, other one is the dream D R E M E website that has a lot of family math activities and like reading books together. And then it gives the parents information on what does number, you know, tells all about number. And then it also has another one that would tell about this book, how they could use this book, like actual size or something and ideas for how they could use that at home. Wonderful. I will definitely add that one too. So, and speaking of books, I believe um, Starnet, don't we have a day camp coming up that yes, relates to, um, yes. yeah, literacy and math. So yes, do you want to yes. share? Cause, um, I know that's coming up, I think in June, but maybe June that'll pique some people's interest. Yes. June the 10th. And it's kind of, um, you're going to get to look at five different books and you'll come up with ideas that would help. Um, if you sent this book home to a family. Uh, if it's a library book or if they, you know, if they purchased it or whatever. And it just, it tells us how to, you know, bring the math into that story. And so we have chosen five different books um, that relate to different math topics. We have uh, one on <clears throat> like Rosie's walk is a good one for positional and spatial sense. Um, and then um, we have shoe, shoe, shoes, which is, the one for data analysis surveys type thing. And my mind just went blank on the other three. Sorry. (laughs) Well, that's okay. People have to come. They got to come to the event to find out the other three, you know, we don't want to give it all all the way yet. Yes. But (laughs) it's going to be really interactive and it's going to be in person. We keep our fingers crossed at sugar grove, um, nature center, uh, north of McLean, Illinois. 
Okay. Yeah. So well, you know what? I'll probably just link that, um, the event page to this yeah, episode yeah. as well. So yeah. people are listening before June 10th and they'll have the opportunity to, to learn more about that and register. So, and then we also will have one later in the summer and up North. All right. Well, everybody keep your um, eyes open for that and ears. We will um, have that information on the Starnet website. So, I will share that link as well. If you're not familiar with Starnet, um, we provide a lot of training. Um, so our calendar is posted on our website. So I'll share that. Um, Cheryl, anything else you want to share as we get ready to wrap up? I was just thinking for someone that might be new to the to early childhood or, you know, you know, has some struggles with the math, the Apple's videos that we have with Sally Muma. And I don't want to say the numbers because I'm afraid I might have them wrong, but <laughs> you know, the ones I'm talking about, because yes, yes, I do. Covers, the first one, she covers all five areas of mathematics and how that applies in early childhood. And then on the second one, it's all about number sense. And okay. well, it sounds like, yeah, we've got a lot of resources to kind of help get people started or continue um, from where they're at and expanding um, those math learning opportunities and fun, playful ways. So thank you, Cheryl, for your time today. I really appreciate you chatting with me. Um, I learned quite a bit. I'm sure our listeners um, did as well today. So thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining in today. I hope you'll um, continue to listen to the podcast series on developmentally appropriate practices. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to starnet at wiu.edu or submit a request using the Make a Request button on our homepage.